What started off as snow in southern part of the province has turned into sunshine in Saskatoon and area, seeing a fair bit of that today as well. So not like really what I would call warm temperatures, but boy, I'll tell you, not bad for this time of the year. Definitely above seasonable still for this time of the year. And uh, that's something that we'll be continuing on for the next little while. So all in all, not too bad. And if I didn't remind you, you only have a day and a half left to get your Valentine a treat. So uh, keep that in mind on your way home from work today. Well, there's been so many big stories coming out of uh, the federal government or national news. And yesterday uh, we were talking about some of those things that uh, that had us you know, focused on what I would call uh, some negative things. Some of the stuff to do with ArriveCan and the money mismanagement that happened there. We were talking about this Charlie Angus bill. We had Andrew Shear on this morning to talk about that. Uh, but there's something that, that came out just in the past week that lots of people are applauding and saying this is a very positive thing. Indigenous communities across Saskatchewan are rejoicing after the Supreme Court of Canada upheld the 2019 Indigenous Child Welfare Law, otherwise known as Bill C-292. This Basically, this decision affirms Indigenous communities have the inherent right to lead their own child and family services. Here to talk about it with us is a good friend of mine, someone I've had the opportunity to work with through the years, former chief of Cowes' First Nation. He's also the chair of the Residential School Documents Advisory Committee, founder and CEO of One Hoop. It's Cadmus DeLorme. Cadmus, thanks for taking the call today. Good morning, Evan. Great to have you here. So just this past week, Supreme Court of Canada ruled the Federal Indigenous Child Welfare Act is constitutional. This is actually from 2019, but it's been tied up in the courts. What's the importance of this, Cadmus? Yeah, let me walk us through in one minute here. So back in 2016, the AFN, the Assembly of First Nation, met with the then-new Liberal government and said, let us control our destiny when it comes to children in care and other jurisdictions. And so it took two, two years for the federal government to create a draft of Bill C-92, now the Act. And uh, at that time, um, it was given royal assent in, in 2020, and the provincial governments and the territorial governments, some were a little offended because they didn't play much in the drafting of it. And I'm not here to, I'm just telling you the story. Right. And so it got royal assent. And Cowes' First Nation, when I was chief, we were one of the first ones to exercise this jurisdiction. And Cowes ratified our own law based on the Cowes' uh, values and model. And in Quebec challenged it in their provincial, saying that Section 92 was not followed the federal government cannot interfere in Section 92 because that's where child welfare comes in outside of Indigenous relations in this country. Every province has child and family services. And so they lost in their Quebec Supreme Court. So then Canada kicked it to the Supreme Court of Canada. And on Friday, the Supreme Court of Canada affirmed that this jurisdiction falls with Indigenous governing bodies. And lastly, I just want to explain to all the listeners why this is so important. Back in 1867, when the British North American Act got here, we created Section 91 to give federal jurisdiction. We then created Section 92 in 1870, giving provincial territorial jurisdiction. Where we got it wrong is we forgot to give Indigenous governing bodies Section 93, respecting Indigenous jurisdiction. Instead, Canada put Indigenous people under Section 9124 without Indigenous people's consent, so if anybody says that Indigenous people are a federal responsibility, you've got to decolonize your own mind. And so this law and this rendered decision 
affirms that Indigenous people have an inherent right to do this. Cadmus DeLorme is my guest, former chief of Cowes' First Nation, founder and CEO of One Hoop, and we're going to talk about that in a second. So Quebec was a driving force behind the appeal, which now we know the Supreme Court has ruled on. I, I'm guessing back when you were chief of Cowes and you were going through you know, the process to, to basically take some control under this legislation for your First Nation, I'm guessing you had conversations with the provincial government. What is our provincial government's take on this act? Yeah, thank you. At the time, I talked with the minister in our province. I talked with the minister in Alberta, their province. I even talked with the minister in Quebec at the time. And um, all three of them didn't oppose that Indigenous should be running their own child welfare jurisdiction. The challenge is, is that the federal government, from perspectives, I'm not saying that Saskatchewan said this, but the patterns were, is the federal government didn't provide the provinces enough time to assess it. And so my response to them was what I just told you two minutes ago about, well, we should have got this right at the beginning and we wouldn't have to spend so much money on lawyers at this time. And uh, so the rendered decisions, and now it's time that Indigenous governing bodies uh, exercise that right. So I don't know if you remember, you and I were sitting in your urban office in 2021 or 22, right when you and Kauzis were basically working to to take, you know, take advantage of this in a positive way, take control of your children and and how that is going to roll out for Kauzis First Nation and as a chief of police, I was trying to, in practical ther- terms, think, how is this going to work? How is this going to roll out? You remember that? And I was saying, like, mm-hmm. help me understand, <laughs> what does this mean? So can you give us a sense of, you know, now that this has, has been ruled on by the Supreme Court, the Indigenous Child Welfare Act is constitutional. What's your yeah. vision on how this rolls out and what does it look like? Uh, thank you, Evan. And I just want to give you a little credit where credit's due. You provided us insight on enforcement officers when we sat with you uh, in the role they would play. Um, and, and it really helped us make sure we get this right. Today, what does that mean? You know, Indigenous governing bodies, uh, we inherited a history. Canada inherited a history together. Today, when you look at our provincial budgets, majority is incarceration and child welfare. And that there's patterns to that. Provincial governments have a tough go, and so allowing Indigenous governing bodies and empowering Indigenous governing bodies to exercise their own model for their children in protection and prevention is for long-term healing. And what that means is COWS has ratified our own law, the Neopima Tisawin Act. We exercised it April 1st, 2022, and 2021, and we were ready to go. But the challenge is, is in this country, remember, Indigenous people don't want pity or anybody to feel sorry for us, but we have our own healing. We realize that we also have to heal the adults running this because, you know, a lot of us have been through a lot in our life. And so, you know, it took us a little bit more time to prepare our model and the adults to run it. And then the children are asking for change. And so today we're still creating it. And across this country, Indigenous governing bodies, which include Métis, First Nation, and Inuit, will be exercising uh, exercising this more on the norm. For sure. And, you know, I mean, I, I think it's it's just going to be ultimately collaboration. It's sitting down with your community leaders and figuring out what this is going to look like. And so the door is open, but now there's the, the steps that have to be taken. And, uh, you know, I'm curious to know your thoughts on, does this open a bigger conversation about inherent right to self-government? It does. 
you know, First Nations, Métis and Inuit didn't ask to be put in an Indian Act or in a colonizing approach to this moment. And nobody in this country created the Indian Act today. But we got to understand that in order to get to reconciliation, we're going to have two relationships together when we fully implement reconciliation. One of them is going to be economics, and that's what we're going to talk about next with One Hoop. The second is quasi-jurisdictional. We have to make sure our provinces and our federal government and territories understand that education, justice, child welfare, these are quasi-jurisdictional open conversation. To just think that we must funnel everything through legislation in our provincial, territory, and federal, and just allow Indigenous to just kind of sit in the backseat of the car, that's no more. That's the 90s and 80s. If anybody thinks like that, we got to remold our mind to understand that those two relationships are vital to make sure we get it right in this country together. Cadmus DeLorme is my guest, founder and CEO of One Hoop and former chief of Kauza's First Nation. So I remember the day you texted me and said, just so you know, our election's coming up and I'm not running for re-election. I remember thinking, what? Like you were, to me, you were uh, very much a leader in the province and and not just for Kauza's First Nation, but you know, I think many people look to you as a leader in the province on the notion of of reconciliation and these advancing these positive steps forward. And and I remember you saying, "There's bigger things out there, and I've got things that I want to do that I think will will have even greater impact." So let's talk a bit about that. One hoop. This is this is your new venture, founder and CEO of that. Give us an understanding of what it is, Cadmus, and what your vision is. How this is going to help moving forward. Yeah, one hoop is to drive and advance Canadians and Indigenous people to understand what economic reconciliation means. You know, the experts that are a part of one hoop, you know, Thomas Benjo, we a lot we launched Cree Lavalley yesterday, Jada Yee, uh, myself and more are coming. You know, we have experts that have been instrumental in the development of other organizations. Today we wanna help with procurement policies. We want to help with Indigenous governing bodies and making sure that they're economically ready because a lot still think Indian Act, and that's not their fault. That's just because of in just, just years and decades. And so we want them to think outside the Indian Act, and we want to help um, businesses get economically ready and understand what reconciliation means. And then lastly, environment, social, ESG is really important. But we want to make sure that we also add the Indigenous into it. It's ESGI. And we got more. We're also into private equity, but that's a whole other conversation. Mm-hmm. So who, who's your audience? Who are your clients for, for the work that you're doing, Cadmus? Yeah, right now we're helping some of the Crown Corporations uh, just understand their procurement policies and understand that uh, Indigenous uh, entrepreneurs, Indigenous bidding on projects. So those are one of our, our audiences. Private sector, we have private sector that we have contracts with and we're going in to help them with their recruitment and retention. Uh, We're helping them with um, understanding how to work with Indigenous governing bodies because many want to, they just don't know how to go about it or maybe they had one experience that just kind of put a bad taste in their mouth and so we allow that to, to reteach them. And then lastly, Indigenous governing bodies. We're working with First Nations in the South and Central right now to help the chief and councils, to help their economic boards, just get better prepared. You know, one thing I learned as being a chief in this province, 75% of our time is managing poverty. 
psychological, physical, financial poverty. 25% is innovation. So one hoop helps these chief and council with that 25%. Let us be your innovation in economics. Good work, uh, Cadmus. Uh, I'm always happy to chat with you. I'd be remiss if I let you go without talking about the fact that February is Indigenous Storytelling Month. I've had a couple of different people join me on the show here to talk a bit about that. You're one of the best storytellers I know. In fact, I feel like I could tell a couple of the stories that you've told over the years. Why is why is storytelling important in your life? And you know, give me a sense of some early memories that you have. Okay, I'm asking for a minute and a half to answer. Okay, you got it. So, in Indigenous tribal systems, in the governance system, and we're talking 200 years ago, when Indigenous people had no children and care, no unemployment, and everybody had a duty and everybody had a job, our education was at the center, and our knowledge, uh, it was very sacred. And our children didn't have textbooks. They didn't have brick schools. They didn't have gymnasiums. They had legendary stories, and these stories prepared you for your relationship with yourself, your relationship with others, your your relationship with the land, and your duty. And these stories were very foundational. I'm going to tell you a 30-second story of one just to kind of close up here. This is the legendary story of the hummingbird. One day, this tree caught on fire in a forest, and this hummingbird seen this tree burning, and he knew it was going to turn into a forest fire. He's seen water a ways away, so he flew down in his beak and picked up a little bit of water and flew all the way back and spit on this tree. All afternoon he did this. This raven was sitting on a tree watching this hummingbird, and this raven was just sitting there going, watching it go back and forth. We all know a raven in our two in our life that just sit there and watch us as we're trying to do something. <laughs> and this hummingbird flew by the raven, and the raven said, why are you trying to out this fire? It's, you're not going to out it. And the hummingbird flew by and said, I may not out it. But every time I spit water on it, I make a difference. And when you tell kids that, be a hummingbird in life and just make a little difference one day at a time. I knew I would uh, not regret bringing this up uh, with you, Cadmus. Thank you so much for for that and, and just helping us understand the importance of the Supreme Court ruling this week. I'm sure we'll chat on the show again soon. Thank you, Evan, for the opportunity. Cadmus DeLorme, founder, CEO of One Hoop and former chief of Kauzas First Nation, helping us understand and unpack the Supreme Court of Canada ruling this week on Indigenous child welfare. You're listening to 980 CJME and 650 CKOM.